You are listening to the Exploring Family Business podcast brought to you by Mazars, a resource of insights, information and knowledge sharing from family business owners, their advisors and key individuals involved in the day-to-day running of a family business. I am your host, Natalie Wright, Head of Family Business at Mazars UK and having worked extensively with family businesses for a number of years, I'm keen to support this valuable sector of our society. At Mazars, we believe there is nothing more personal than a family business. Every family and every business are unique. So we look forward to sharing a number of interviews, conversations and panel discussions with you each week as we explore what is top of the agenda for family businesses in the UK. Now on to this week's show. Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Exploring Family Business podcast with Mazars. I'm your host, Natalie Wright, and on this week's show, we're looking at the power of governance in a family business. To explore this further, I'm joined today by Joe McSween, former managing director of world-leading Haggis Brand McSween, and now a peer group chair for Vistage International. Joe also has her own coaching practice, where she works with many other family business leaders, helping them to become more effective in their role and with purpose. And we also have Alan Frost, who leads our business consulting team at Mazars. Alan was part of a family business before joining Mazars, and he now supports family businesses as they adapt and pivot their business model to focus on long-term growth by optimising people, processes, systems and data. Both Joe and Alan have grown up in family businesses. Joe is third generation and Alan is the fourth. And so they bring a unique insight into their personal experience of being part of a family business, as well as now working with a number of other family businesses and their management teams to champion stronger corporate governance, whilst also improving business performance, establishing the rules of engagement and staying true to their values. Thank you both so much for joining me today. I know you equally have a lot to share on today's subject, but before we start, it would be great if you could tell our listeners more about yourself. So, Joe, I'll come to you first. Can you tell us more about your background, the work that you do as a Vistage chair and also your work as a coach? Yeah, well, like a lot of people in a smaller family business, I did lots of different things. My formal training was marketing. So a lot of my work was around what what I suppose you might call sort of brand guardianship. And that to me doesn't just mean logos. It means culture, values because all of that, to my mind, should sit within what your logo stands for. As time went on and I took over more of the reins of the business, then I had more of a leadership team around me, so I'd moved more into a conventional MD role. But that's the, that's the kind of route I came up. In terms of now, I lead a group of leaders in a private advisory group, which is very varied, very challenging. They, they come from a diverse range of sectors. Some are family business. Some are not. I like mixing them up, actually. They learn a lot from each other. And then my work as a, as a coach allows me to go a bit deeper with people in terms of what they're trying to achieve personally from their leadership or indeed their personal life. The, the two blend together all the time, I think, as is the way in life. You've had very varied roles then by the sounds of it. Yeah. And across to you, Alan, you're from a family business background too. So can you explain more about your experience and how you're helping family businesses now? Yeah, so I, was, I suppose I was the fourth and final generation of our of our family business. And I think what that taught me when I was much younger was that you have to wear very, very many different hats in a family business, whatever your experience and your age. And I suppose that I think that's helped me in 
future life when I've joined Mazars and I've been at Mazars now for 13 years, really to help sort of give the right attitude and, and, and response to being able to roll your sleeves up and be part of a team, knowing that if you needed in this area, then you know that's where your, your time and effort needs to be. I think growing up in a family business, it was the main thing we talked about as a family. It was always well known, rightly or wrongly, how we were doing as a business, good, you know, well or bad. And I'm sure no different to other people maybe that are listening. There was days out cut short, holidays interrupted, and other things as well, alongside all the positives that come with being a part of a family business, getting to spend so much time together, which was really nice when I, when I look back and think about it. Now my role at Mazars is to, is to help businesses and, and family business in particular. I think as a result of having been part of that sector, I suppose you're able to speak from experience, from the heart, and with a bit more with a, with a with a bit more knowledge, I suppose, as to what it really is like in that environment. And I think particularly for those younger generations that are coming up and possibly feel an obligation, or or perhaps not feel the obligation to sort of move into that family business. I was very fortunate that my parents said to me, "There is no pressure to come and be part of you know this at later later stage." And ultimately, that was the decision that both my sister and I both made as a result. Thanks, Berth. I'm, I'm sure the listeners can resonate with a lot of what each of you have said there. Let's talk about the meaning and purpose of governance, because it's not just a rule book, is it? It's also about clarifying relationships, responsibilities, potentially avoiding issues later down the line. If we're looking at the meaning and purpose of governance, where do you think that stands in family businesses, Joe? I can get very uncomfortable very quickly just when it starts to get very technical. And I felt that way at the time, and I feel that way now, because that's not where my expertise lies. But I think what I always bear in mind when someone asks me a question like this is to remember what hat you're wearing when. And so for me, the, the governance hat is, is one that's easy to ignore because it's, it's not, in a way, our comfort zone, and it's often where there doesn't appear to be any urgency. So often the urgency in a family business system is around the business, which is generally, just listening to Alan, what the family strives to serve, like another member of the family, like a hungry child almost all the time. Then the family usually gets attended to, especially if it's ill. And then governance is often an afterthought, which is, uh, you know, often the thing that contains everything and attends to the future as well as the present. So things like succession planning, things like policies. I mean, it's all, it, it can all be a little bit dull sometimes, frankly, but it's really, really important. And it only really comes into people's consciousness at a time of crisis often, and not often in a, a forward-looking planning way. My, that's my experience, certainly, and is my experience when I work with family businesses. Is There's a lot of ignorance and then a lot of reluctance to get on and do it. Because other things always seem more pressing. Mm, I completely agree. And I think that's as part of the, the fast nature of family businesses, which all business of a fast nature, I know, but it feels as though that lack of governance that may well have been in place for a long time because the business has been passed through generations rather than perhaps going through any other external corporate you know, mergers and acquisitions, etc. As a result, perhaps those pieces of governance haven't been in place for a long, long time. There's very much an attitude, I think, certainly when I look back to our family business and look back to my father and the way he ran elements of it before my mother took it over, it was very much, well, this is the way my father did it and this was the way his father did it. So therefore, you know, and in actual fact, when I think back and 
talking personally, it was probably my mother coming into the business and seeing things in a different way. And certainly from a, a female's perspective, more so than a male's perspective, that had the real impact on, on the business as a, as a result. And you could argue she was a bit of an outsider coming in. So, you know, I think, I think you're right. Governance isn't something that tends to be high up on the, on the list of priorities. But when it is, I think it's very, very clear to see that it has been prioritised by a family business and the impact it can have in a variety of ways. And I'm sure we'll come on to, to many of those different ways soon. We'll come on to impact shortly. I guess issues-wise, I'm sure there's a huge range of issues that, that you've seen when a family business doesn't have clear governance in place. But are there any real critical ones that you can think of when either of you have worked with other family businesses or maybe from your own experience where if you hadn't have had governance in place, there could have been some real issues for either the family, the business or both? With my own family business, I I count myself very lucky, although I no longer work in it in any capacity at all. We were really lucky that early on in the 1990s, we had the opportunity to join a bit of a sort of special family business peer group, really, based in Glasgow, which was a wonderful education program and allowed us to learn more about well, what are the things that we need to be paying attention to? A bit like you were saying, Alan, we didn't know what we didn't know. We, you know, we didn't even know it was called governance. You know, we thought that was for sort of corporate serious companies and we weren't like that. So why did we even need to engage with it? And then we, we also learned from other families about where, what were the implications if we didn't pay attention and how could it actually serve us if we did invest some time and energy in it? So for example, thinking about our roles and responsibilities I realised at the time that even though I wasn't legally a director at that point, the amount of responsibility I'd been given, I was a shadow director. I then realised that, well, you know, if the shit hits the fan, I'm accountable, actually, in the eyes of the law, even though I haven't been given the title director or indeed a salary to match it. So that started quite an interesting conversation with my father because I became less ignorant And then we also realised that maybe we should have a family council. Maybe we should involve some of the family who weren't working in the business. Was our inheritance policy fair? What would happen if X died suddenly? (laughs) Things like that. So we started getting on with it. And I suppose, therefore, resolved a lot of it. Where I've seen it go wrong is just where families stick their head in the sand and go, well, you know, tomorrow, tomorrow. I've seen similar as as well, Joe, and I think, you know, there's many examples where I've seen brothers fall out and never talk to each other, and probably the most extreme example being whereby they wouldn't be in the office on the same day, and therefore staff would be working to one directive on a Monday and then completely changing their direction on a Tuesday and then back to where Monday was come Wednesday, and that's no environment to thrive within for staff or you know or even for the business as a whole and i'm sure there's other examples too as a result so i think you really can't underplay what is my role in this and how can i how can i contribute the most to the wider good of the company i think in family business whereby a family is is in charge you know in the senior roles but then there's a huge staff workforce as well that becomes even more prevalent because you know it's not a case of just looking after the family that you know there's an extended family i suppose as well and People always say, well, you know, in family business, I feel like these other members of staff have grown with us and they're part of our family as well. Well, you have a, a responsibility towards them as well, as opposed to just the people that share your, your surname, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. 
There are plenty horror stories, I think. And a lot of it is, uh, I think, people genuinely not understanding as well as avoiding the hard conversations. You know, they are difficult to instigate. They are. And I guess it's always the added complexity of a family business, isn't it? The personal dynamics that are involved, which will impact almost every decision that that you're making. Mm -hmm. Thinking about what you both said there, and, you know, we talk a lot about having values and a clear set of values in a family business. How beneficial do you think it is for family businesses to, to have that clear set of values when they're thinking about governance in the business and what's needed in terms of governance? I think extremely important. I think one of the, I mean, this is maybe oversimplifying it, Natalie, but I think family businesses broadly can fall into two categories at some stage of their evolution anyway, which is that that first and foremost, they're a family that happens to be in business together. Or the other, of course, is that they're a business that just so happens to be run by family. Because you can see all, all shades of that, I think. So that can often drive decision making and there's no right or wrong about it. It's just being clear, I think, about what is going to guide your decision making. I mean, obviously, there's implications to both. You know, if you go too far to either extreme, then, you know, you probably encounter more challenges. But I think in the same way that values underpins how you might run a business and the strategy you develop, to me, it's all interwoven. It goes to the heart of what you as a family might consider to be fair, for example. So uh, to give an example, some families will give dividends and so on, whether regardless of whether you work in the business or not, you're a family member, therefore you will benefit financially from it. Other families would take the view, no, you have to ha- be making a contribution to the running of the company and that's why you would be given a dividend and you will not inherit any of the business you know again neither is right or wrong but it's a clear policy that might be based on a, on a value or principle that the family holds dear mm-hmm. and i think the, val- the values that get shown to the rest of documented and communicated to the rest of the organization are so 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 important to be clear in a family business probably more so than ever because it is inevitable that as a member of staff in a family business, you will look up to the family in a certain way and, and knowing what the values of that family are and therefore what the values of that business is, I think is so much more important in a family business than perhaps in a corporate whereby mm-hmm. you might, you know, you might read the website or the, you know, the company statements or whatever it might be. You might know that there's a strategy around exit, for example, because that's what's happened previously. Whereas picking up probably on that, what is fair, what do this family consider to be fair and equal? Not necessarily in the way they distribute profits, but in our behaviours, because I think that can have a huge, huge impact as well on the culture mm-hmm. of family businesses and culture in family businesses is probably as important, if not more important than, than, than other businesses, I, re- I would really ask. Yeah, I think it can be very hard for a family sometimes to define its own values because they're already mm. there. They just need to be articulated. It's a bit like asking a fish what water is, you know, because you've grown up with it. So that's often where the role of someone external coming in to actually hold up a mirror and help the family see themselves. Because often what gets touted by companies, whether they're family or not, or you speak to a leader and you say, what are your values? And they'll say, well, one of my values is family. I personally don't think that is a value. I'm always a bit bemused by that one. I generally think family businesses underplay this card massively. 
don't use it enough, I, you know, in, in the sphere of business, never mind governance. But I think if you define that, then that can be your overarching philosophy, which then can go on and help you guide the more intricate policies where people can get sort of stuck in the weeds. And when you do get stuck in the weeds, which you will, then you can at least go back to your overarching philosophy to help guide you. I think that's a really interesting point. And what, what you mentioned about actually most family businesses, you know, do have values and are living and breathing by those values, but probably don't define them enough. But if they are living and breathing by them and it comes through in the culture of the business, I guess one aspect is how, how do you both generally find that maybe the culture differs between family businesses and non-family businesses, if at all? And is there any way in which actually culture could be further improved in one or the other? I think there's two extremes on this. When people use the word family to take Joe's comment before, as, as you know, that's one of our values, family. What I think they really are trying to say is inclusion. And I think that the two extremes of the spectrum that I've seen in my experience whilst working at Mazar, certainly, and working in family business is that it's either very, very inclusive or the opposite end is what the family says goes. Yes, there's companies that pretentiary in the middle, but I think it's the, it's the culture whereby, yes, we're a family business, but just because we don't, you don't share the same surname, you are part of, of our wider family, your opinion counts just as much as anybody else's does around this table as opposed to well actually you know i'm the i'm, I'm the niece of, of the 60 percent shareholder so you know I have, I have a greater say than than perhaps somebody that has an equal job title to me in this organization now they are two very very different cultures and i think they will have a massive impact and i've seen it firsthand on the wider culture and organization and, and you know th- thinking about things such as discretionary efforts commitment honesty, lots of, you know, and, and openness, lots of different things. I like the spectrum that you describe, and I, I've definitely experienced that in some of my dealings with family companies over the years. And I think the other thing to consider here, or what I, it's hard not to talk generally here, but I think what people like about family businesses, particularly consumers and employees, is there is some visibility and accountability you know, I mean, to the extent that most family businesses literally put their name above the door. Now, that's quite a statement. You know, a lot of people don't like doing that because they don't want that visibility. They want to be able to run and hide when the going gets tough. So I think families have a very strong role to play in terms of that stability and openness, both within the workplace for their customers and their wider communities. I think it's a strong card, again, tends to be underplayed often. I think that that aspect is is worth exploring. I'd actually not thought about it in the way that you mentioned it then, Jaren. I wonder how many other people actually would be willing to put their name above the door, knowing that actually any decision that you make, whether it's regarding employees, customers, supply chain, anything else, you know, it's coming back to you. Your name is there. It's not going away. I think it is something that you know, non-family members possibly underestimate as well. Yeah, I think they do. As well as, I mean, I don't know about you, Alan, when you worked in your family business, I tended to get a really extreme response from, oh, how lovely you work with your family, to, oh, my God, what a nightmare. I can never work with mine. How do you manage? <laughs> <laughs> there, was no yeah. uh, there, was, there was never um, a sort of, uh, you know, it was always a strong response to one way or the other. 
Yeah, I'd probably agree actually. But you know, having you know our name above above the door was was a real proud thing for me to uh, for me to share really with friends and and you know customers, suppliers like like you say, Natalie. So um, hopefully, people felt the same in terms of you know employees that didn't share my surname as well that worked with us. You know, felt the same proudness to work for a family that had been through as many different generations. I think I would like to say on the whole, most family businesses around the country do have a workforce that does feel like that towards the organization. Now, I don't know whether, you know, working for the, the family name, you know, if the company is called that, that name would, would make a huge difference. Either way, I'd never use those about it either personally. But I, I think when you grow up in, in a family business, not as a family member, just generally, I think you do feel a sense of, of pride and, and, and ownership and responsibility towards that, that family as much as you do the organization, which I think is a great factor to play on in, in some organizations. And I think some family businesses use that to their advantage, but far, far too few, you know, as a result. I mean, you're now both helping family businesses, supporting them from an independent perspective, effectively serving as that external sounding board in some cases. So what roles could or should non-family members take in order to have the most impact in family businesses? Mm, lots. I think. One of the things we've sort of touched on this, but I think one of the things is really hard for people in a family business system to remember is in any given situation or when they're talking to various people, what role and hat am I wearing? Am I speaking as a shareholder? Am I speaking as a director of this business? Am I speaking as a daughter, father, whatever? And I think we're non-exec, particularly at more formal moments like boardroom moments can actually just help keep that discipline and hygiene. It's impossible to ever remove the family from any situation. But what you can do is, I think, deploy really simple things. So one of the things I started doing, my parents didn't like this to begin with, but it just helped keep me on track, was in the board room, I called my parents by their first names. I did not call them mum and I did not call them dad because I thought, that just feels too like we're around the kitchen table. So I call them John and Kate. And then they said, God, we feel like, you know, we've adopted you. <laughs> okay, well, you have to get used to it because I don't want you to see, see me as some kid in this situation. I'm not your kid. I'm your peer. In this domain, I am your peer. And so it did change that, I think. It can be as small as that. But back to your question. So the role can, can partly bring in the hygiene. I think partly remind and ask questions that the family might not think to ask so especially like a view of what would a non-family company do in this situation as well as what would a family company do because sometimes that can help the family move forwards it's quite good to sort of look at it from the other side but for us certainly having non-family in the boardroom helped us on a journey of increasing professionalization and helping us fill in gaps in our skill set. That's how we recruited for the board. It's like, what, what don't we know? And where could we do with some objective advice, actually? Mm. I really like it when I see a family business that has a, a board that is chaired by a non-family member. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not going to work on every occasion, don't get me wrong, but I think someone that can bring a bit of cadence i suppose and, and governance to that to that boardroom that can get away from 
you know any family politics especially in in the room and there was one example in particular where I, I did see this a number of years ago now whereby going back to joe's point there was a few family members that weren't working in the business but came to these monthly or as they were then quarterly board meetings often very very opinionated and it meant that you know it, it was it was somebody that was literally on the christmas card list that was hosting the meeting that or chairing the meeting i should say that they were having to come up against and it, it, I, I saw one of the meetings live and it just didn't it just didn't work and we put in the recommendation around having a non-family member to chair those meetings and it took a little bit of while of a while for that to to be accepted first of all but then for it to have a real impact but it just mm. brought a lot more structure equality i think is probably the best word around the table yeah. it made for a much more conducive board meeting as a result yeah. and probably you know, brought probably brought the family together a lot more than, than than had been previously in many respects. Sometimes because they all hate the external family chair. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. But no, I think that's a great point, Alan. And and actually, um, again, some of my experience, both helping and and in my own family business, what the non-family chair was able to do was to table really quite difficult issues that maybe the family had been trying to chair, but the let's say the the exiting generation were not really wanting to listen to because it was maybe to do with their income or when they might retire or you know topics that they were resisting but if the non-family chair raises it oh well that's somehow neutral and okay so it sort of passed through uh into a, a more a much more conducive discussion that was less emotional mm. so yeah i i think that's a great point I think to answer your question originally, Natalie, there's no two businesses would be the same. And what might be a case for one business wouldn't work for someone else in terms of a non-family member taking a certain role. What I think is important to recognise is where has a family member not got the expertise to justify that role? Finance being one that I see an awful lot of actually as well. Someone has become this finance controller, director, whatever title is, is, is given, but without possibly the right skill set to really take this family business forward. But for many reasons, and often security is one, it is felt that a family member should have the tight reins over the over the company purse effectively. I think that's a really good point, actually. It's knowing your limitations, isn't it, on some skills. So mm -hmm. whether you are family business or non-family owned business, something such as the finance role, if that is not your skill set, you need to bring someone in where that is their strength to make sure that you stand in the best possible position to have a successful sustainable business and just knowing that you can go externally to get that resource if you need yeah. to i yeah. really like the point you mentioned as well joe actually there and i was thinking about it a number of, of my clients actually family businesses the, the first name term so in the board meeting and actually professionalizing it you know being peers and actually th that is such a simple way isn't it of creating that that line of professionalism for other people to see especially at board level with non-family members i'm mm -hmm. sure that's something anyone kind of as a next generation coming through now in their family business a really mm -hmm. simple effective tip actually to, to create that level of professionalism yeah and i think thinking about i mean we haven't used the word diversity but i think this is important on any board never mind a family board diversity of thinking not just that you have a balance of male and female energy, but all the life experiences and so on. A lot of diversity, to my mind, is hidden. You know, it's not visible. So I think the other thing to think about isn't just skill sets, but just 
you've already got a, a, a dangerous potential for groupthink by the very nature of the fact that a lot of family boards are all of the same family. Now, I know that's not to say that you all think alike, but mm. you all had a start in life often that's very similar. So I think bringing in non-family, even if it's just one, changes that dynamic right away and helps the, the family see itself and have a mirror held up a little bit. In our case, encouraging us to kind of, you know, move faster, try this, try that. You know, you, you're being too cautious, actually. Sometimes I think families are so worried about failing, particularly when you get into third, fourth generation, as that Alan and I are. The thing that hangs over you is you don't want to be the one that stuffs it up. Thanks for that, Joe. And just as a, a kind of final point to each of you, it, it would be remiss of me not, not to consider the effects of 2020 and what's happened this year, and especially with you know, Brexit on the horizon. We know that family businesses tend to take a much longer term view with regards to their planning. And it's, you know, in a large degree, that, that is what makes them extremely successful businesses. But thinking about some of the points we've discussed today, what do you think are the important questions that need to be answered currently by, by family businesses as we, we move beyond 2020? Well, one of the things I think, and this is irrespective of any of family or non-family, but your people will remember how you treat them. So if you have to make redundancies, for example, and a lot of companies are having to think that way, then make it the best redundancy program you've ever done you know, bring all your values to bear. Remember to act with great compassion, you know, because they will remember how you let go of them. So I think that to me is what you have to remember and how you, your, your values can really serve you well at this, at this moment. That would be the, one of the first things I'd say. And that I, I feel that we've passed through the first phase of, phase of this crisis. So in my mind, you know, we've all been swimming around in the water, kind of wondering what on earth has hit us. Now we kind of know what's hit us up to a point. We don't know the full impact yet, but we're all sitting on a ledge going, oh, that wasn't very nice. Um, is everybody OK? And in some cases, they're not. And in other cases, they are kind of. But we're all still a bit in shock. So now we need to steady the ship a little. Think about how your, your business model is going to operate. But don't put on hold forever the things that you know you have to attend to, the tomorrow plan, the succession, in a way has never been more important because older family members are at higher risk of COVID, for example. You know, that isn't going to go away. So you have to keep pressing on with that agenda as well and make time for it. Schedule it in your diary, even if it means working weekends, which is what we ended up doing to go away on family retreats together to give this the airtime it needed because Monday to Friday, there's often never enough time. I think for as rocky as 2020 has been, for some businesses out there, 2021 is going to be even rockier. Mm. And, I, and I say that quite confidently for, and I'm sure many of you sitting, listening to this now will, will think actually we might be in that, in that boat. There's probably never been a time to come together as a family, but more importantly as an organisation more than right now. We've talked a lot, Joe and I and Natalie, around difficult decisions and difficult conversations that need to be had. They can't be put off any longer. A combination of COVID, Brexit, and upcoming recession has meant that the trading environment will be 
even more difficult going forward. The one way in which you can help yourselves is by having those conversations now and probably coming together even more than, you know, worrying that actually it's going to break a family apart. I think family businesses have got a real opportunity to come out of this even stronger. And I don't mean stronger balance sheet or higher profitability. I mean, from a culture, from a value, from an integrity perspective, which I actually believe could count for, for an awful lot financially later down the line. Thank you both for sharing your thoughts with us today. It's been really clear that by being in that impartial role, advising and coaching family businesses, you've demonstrated the different perspective it can provide when it comes to challenging thinking, ideas or planning, but whilst not forgetting that there are personal relationships to contend with. So that brings a third episode of the Exploring Family Business podcast with Mazars to a close. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe to the series and leave a review on iTunes. It will help us to extend our reach to the family business community so we can continue to share our knowledge and that of our guests. If you would like to know more about anything that we've discussed today, I've detailed links in the show notes to both Joe and Alan, along with our contact details. Alan will be joining me again next week when we'll be interviewing three members of the Smiths of Derby team, a 164-year-old clockmaking family business based in Derbyshire. The business now has members of the fifth and sixth generation working alongside a non-family managing director. They collectively have a strong focus on culture and sustainability, and this year they were announced as supreme champions at the National Family Business Awards, as well as picking up the Manufacturing and East Midlands Regional Awards. I look forward to sharing more with you then, but for now, thank you for listening.